Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast from SturdyMcKee.com. Hey, welcome. I am super happy to have Steve Watson, uh, CFO and CHRO, uh, that's Chief Financial Officer and Chief Human Resources Officer, who has founded TrendBreakers.com, um, here with us on the Focus Forward Business Podcast. I am Sturdy McKee, your host for the podcast. Um, thanks, Steve, very, very much for being here. You're welcome. Excited to have this chat. Cool. So will you tell our viewers and listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my, my background is, is that, you know, I'm a finance guy at heart, always wanted to go into business, wanted finance, got my CPA on that accounting one. And about a, a year into my tenure, I work at a, comp- a social work company in Arizona, it has about 500 employees. About a year into the tenure, the HR director quit. And so they looked mm-hmm. at me and they said, you know, finance, HR, it's about the same thing, we'll give it to you. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't know in what world those are like the same thing, but... You know, I'm, I'm somebody, if you're going to give me something, I'm going to like dive right into it. So I started attending the national conferences. I got licensed in HR. I thought it was going to be an interim thing. And now it's 11 years later and I'm still still over the HR department as well. So I wear both of the, those hats. And where it ties into trend breakers is any business, especially larger businesses, one of the big line items that you have is health benefits. You know, you, mm-hmm. and I got a 30% rate increase. It just shocked me because now as a yeah. CFO, my CFO side of me is trying to come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, where am I going to come up with this money to pay for these benefits? And then the HR side of me is like, I'm going to have to tell every employee they're going to have to get a hundred dollar increase plus their benefits are going to get watered down. I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do this. So I spent <laughs> you know many years trying to figure it out, ended up kind of hacking the system, saving a bunch of money. And, and then I really just like sharing it. And so now I feel like if I don't share with my peers that are out there, I'm almost complicit with this messed up system. So I started up trend breakers as an educational platform. I'm not a broker. I'm not selling insurance stuff, but just trying to teach people how to do things in a, in a better way. So, so is that how you got started in business? Like on your, in your own business in general is just getting tired of, or feeling like you might be complicit. Yeah. I mean, part of it, I mean, it's, it's definitely had its own own journey. I, mm-hmm. I had a CFO consulting business for many years where I would help small businesses with their bookkeeping and accounting and forecasts and stuff. And so I had that going. And then I actually did it for an insurance broker as well, helping them be their, their CFO as well. And so I learned about all the stuff on the, on the back end and I just kept learning more and more stuff. And so I started this educational kind of platform and my wife's like, look, you got a full-time job. You got this CFO consulting thing. You got this trend breakers things going like at least pick two things out of, out of the mix, you know, <laughs> you don't have to have all of them. And I just, from a passion standpoint, I just really enjoy helping people and doing that. So I ended up kind of closing up the CFO consulting business and going all in on the trend break. Now I still have my, my day job. I'm still full-time mm-hmm. CFO doing all of that stuff, you know, with HR stuff. And then I do this on the side. Okay. So um, do you wish in starting that up, starting Trim Breakers particularly, that you had done anything differently? It's been quite the journey. I mean, I I probably started this journey probably three years ago, two or three years ago. And so Mm -hmm. I I definitely know a lot more now than I did then, but I had to go (laughs) through all those bumps and bruises and everything to get to where where I am. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I tend to be a kind of yes person chasing shiny object things. And so the more I'm getting into it, the more that I find myself just having to say no to most things just so I can work on what I right. want to, what I want to work on. And 
that's still my life lesson right now. And so I wish I could have like banged that into my head three years ago to like stay focused, but I'm kind of building out a, a new, almost like a new little industry. Like the, there's not anybody else there out there kind of doing what I'm doing. And so I'm kind of having to like figure it out and build a new model out there, which is fun and exciting, but also hard. Well, tell us a little bit about that. What is the model and how are you, how are you building, how are you crafting that? So the, the model that people buy employee benefits is you'll have a CFO, HR professional or CEO, they'll meet with a broker and that broker will go out there and get rates and carrier quotes and stuff like that. And so that's mm -hmm. the, the people that are involved in that. So I'm trying to insert myself between the broker between the broker and the employer and almost sit on their side of the table. And so if you think about buying a house, you usually have a buyer's broker and a seller's broker, right? On, on both sides, but in right. health insurance, you just have one side, you have one person representing both sides. And there's a lot of misaligned incentives I can get in there and we could geek out for hours on like, why is that all messed up and stuff? But I'm, I'm trying to insert myself as somebody that understands finance, understands HR, understands benefits and can not only help employers work with their current broker. Like I'm not, I don't care which broker they work with. Like we need to work with the one you're working with or help them go out and find other brokers that can find them better plans that are out there. When you say the incentive incentives are misaligned, do you mean like the the broker in essence is the seller's agent for the insurance companies because yeah, that's so where they're getting think paid? Back to that case where I was telling you where I got the thirty percent rate increase. Right. Well, the guy that was bringing those offers to me, well, guess what's happening to his commissions? They're going thirty percent higher. So he's getting a huge raise, bonus, stuff <laughs> like that. I'm getting a huge hit here, and there's just right. something inherently wrong with that. Yeah, and there's so much built in there where most of us don't work harder to get paid less. And so if we're trying to go to our broker saying, I want a 10% decrease, 20% decrease, you are act actually asking them to get paid less, work harder to get paid less. And so there's a way, there's ways to, to fix that, that I, I had to learn on my own that I recommend mm -hmm. other employers do that. But yeah. Well, what is one of the things that employers can do to like, we, we've all been in that, that boat, um, you know, you know, you you know, Dave Chase introduced us. He he was on the podcast before, and he talked about this. And I, I experienced the exact same thing of getting a letter as the employer from the insurance carrier saying your premiums are going up because the evil provider is charging more and more. And then another letter within a week. I had both of them on my desk at one point of how we have to cut your rates because we can't raise premiums and stuff. Right, and as, I mean, as a provider, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And those two things don't like the reason they stayed on my desk is because they didn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. It just makes me think, of, I don't know if you ever watch oceans 11, but where the casino gets <laughs> robbed and they're standing around like, where's all the money? Like, where did it all, all go? You know, right. it's, it's a crazy world that we could go into, but some of the basics, I, I kind of created this trend breakers framework where I go through five steps with employers. And the first one is like, what we're kind of talking about is learning. Like you really, mm -hmm. a lot of people, they just give it to the, the broker and just trust in, that they're just going to give you everything. And it's, you're the one that's going to have to select your broker. You're the one that's got to pick the plan. And so you have to learn about, it. that's what I really like about Dave is like the book that he read. I think it should be mandatory reading for anybody that's negotiating these plans. Honestly, it really opened up my eyes really like the work that they're doing. There's a couple other books, but I think anybody that's negotiating these benefits, they need to invest time. It's a million dollar contract. I mean, anywhere in our, our company, if we have an operations manager, a sales manager, whatever, we're sending them to conferences, we're doing stuff. But as far as employee benefits, we don't invest money into a time within our own internal staff. So that's the first one is learn. 
The second one is to really obtain an, an aligned broker. And that's kind of where we started talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the first thing. And it's not, a, it's not even about the money that they're making. It's about making sure that they win when you win and lose when you lose, or at least aligning and bringing them on your side of the table. Nothing ticks me off more than the brokers coming and saying, I work for you. I'm not biased. I'm not doing all this stuff, but yet you don't pay them. I'm like, how, how do you work for me if, you're not, if I'm not paying you? And so when I got that 30% rate increase, I remember looking at my broker and said, you're not getting a 30% rate, in, you know, raise just because one of my employees had a tummy ache and ended up in the hospital for three months or whatever. Like it doesn't change the work you're doing or, or anything. And so we moved it to a fee based arrangement. So ours mm -hmm. was particularly like per employee per month. So as the company got bigger, they had more work, they got paid more. If we got smaller, they, okay. they got paid less. And I've had the exact same fee for eight years now. It's been locked in as rates go up, as rates go down, whatever. But just like my, my salary at the company or any other employee of the company, it's just locked in and you just go do your job. And if you're doing a great job, you keep your job. And if you don't do a good job, you get, you know, you're not there anymore. You don't get a 30% raise for being less efficient. Right. Exactly. No, <laughs> I mean, but we, all of us need to kind of look in the mirror and say, we're the ones writing the checks. Right. You know, and if, if my costs were out of control every year, going up 10%, somebody's getting fired after a few years, or if my sales are dropping 10% every year, like it, right. you, somebody's going to be accountable for that. But for 20 years, our employee benefits have gone up five, 10% and nobody's held accountable. Like does the CFO get fired? Does the HR professional get fired? Does the broker? I mean, everybody's like, well, it's just what it is. And nobody's accountable for it. Nobody owns it. And it just kind of goes up and it, frustrates me that employees are the ones left with the bill like we're all just paying these ignore you know these huge premiums and stuff so anyway you, you see i get fired up about this i, well, I hey, good i mean we all should right because i mean well and i'm i'm just curious further about i know that there's a a large percentage it's i, I forget what the numbers are but i've for some reason i'm remembering 70 percent of private privately insured employees in the united states are actually under an employer self-funded insurance plan. It might be 50% or something, but it's way more than anybody thinks it is. As far as so, self-funding, the employee, so, employers are paying. Right, so the employer is funding it, and then, this, then the, insur the insurance company, who used to actually be the insurance company, is now really acting as a third-party administrator. Yeah. So yeah. They're more admin, they're more administrators, and even when you think about the ACA, mm -hmm. you know, the politics of that, but for... We, we tried to limit the insurance company, say, you big, bad insurance company, we're only going to leave you with 20%. If it's anything more than that, you're going to have to like, refund it. Well, you just turn that around and say, well, do you want 20% of a million dollars or 20% of a billion dollars? Right. And you make them a administrator and they can only keep 20%. They're just a money handler. They're just like doing stuff, but they want things to go up because then their 20% gets higher and higher and higher. And it just creates these reverse incentives that nobody really thought of. Right, right. No, exactly. So when you design the system, the incentives must be aligned to the outcome you want. You can't. If, yeah, yes, I, I was feel. I was meeting with somebody on my podcast and we were saying he worked with insurance Blue Cross for a long time. And he said, and I think in Texas, it was like 85%. He said, there was so much drive within their group to hit exactly 85%. Because if they went mm -hmm. under 85, and when I say 85%, that would be the claims, the spend versus right. the premium, right? And so if Right. If they were down at like 83, 80, well, guess what? They got to give all that money back to employer. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to go through that hassle. So they want to be at 85. Right. 
but they also didn't want to be at 86, 87 because that's like <laughs> chewing into their admin fee. And so it's like they had to hit 80. So their whole business was around like trying to hit that number and you just trying to think of like, well, how do they do that? And you'll be more aggressive with, with providers or less aggressive or with employers and back and forth, but they got to hit that number. Right. Right. Well, okay. So as a self-funded employer, if, if there's somebody like that listening to this, um, you know, aside from learning about it and which is hopefully what they're doing on your podcast and here today and stuff, what, um, what's one other thing you think they could do to really, I mean, you've already given a couple of great ideas. Well, I'd say, I mean, it's like kind of five steps. So the first one is they have to learn about it. The second right. one is they got to make sure the brokers align. Right. The third one is, is you would be surprised at how many people aren't self-funded. You know, there was, you know, employers, mm-hmm. 100 employees, 200 employees. I, I'm meeting with a group here in Arizona, 600 employees on these fully insured plans. Mm-hmm. There is so much stuff built into those plans there that you just, I, I call it my, my W is withdraw from these prepaid plans. And I, I don't even like using the term self-funding because mm-hmm. if you think about it from a word perspective, fully insured, oh, right. like warm blanket wrapped around us and self-funding sounds like I'm throwing you off the cliff, like good luck. And so when you go talk to a CFO, those words sometimes matter. They're like, why okay. am I going to take on this risky thing? And so I tend to use words like pre-negotiated plan versus like a pay-as-you-go plan or pay-as-you-go plan with a cap. They need to move into those type of plans. If you have more than 100 employees, you need to get into those type of plans because then you you get it. When you're healthy, guess what? You get to keep the money and you mm-hmm. get all these different savings. So that's the third one. Fourth one is you eliminate all these add-ons. You think about when you're buying a car, they get you right. when you get the warranty and the tent and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's all these kind of undercoating added into these health plans that nobody needs and nobody does. And so if you take those ones off, you can save money. And then the last one is kind of re it's almost like redoing the plan. And so as you think about a health, what do you need in health care? It's like, well, I need a doctor. I need a pharmacy plan. I need somebody to administer the, the, the claims and I need some like high level insurance, you know, cause I have somebody gets cancer and those four components. And so if you carve out different parts of those components, you can actually build it at a much lower cost. And so that's kind of the fifth step that I work with employers about. Well, that's great. Cause then, I mean, and there's, there's a lot of low hanging fruit. There are a lot of ways to oh, reduce yes. those, those expenses as well. Um, and a couple, a couple of folks have talked about direct contracting with provider groups, that type of thing. Um, you know, I'm part of, I, I'm, maybe my terminology is archaic, but thinking about that idea of the self-funded employer, um, one of the things I don't think a lot of the providers have realized, and even maybe some of the employers when they're not, you know, since they're taking the advice of the broker and that, is they're really, it doesn't matter, like this, this bifurcation between work comp and personal, right. whatever health insurance is, is kind of goes away, right? Well, what's, what's dumb about that, and I actually use that with all of my HR peers because mm-hmm. work comp, they're all in. Like we're all looking at the costs, like analyzing and doing all this exactly. stuff. And doing all this stuff. And then I'm like, but work comp, you know, my work comp insurance is like $200,000. My benefits is like 3 million. You know, it's like the size scope, but we go all in on like these really small things. And then we just like, you know, cover our eyes and we don't even like think about like this, this big side over here. And it's just managing it the same way. You know, you like get doctors and do things and you know, there's a lot of reasons why that happens and, and stuff like that. But the other one is like 401k plans. Like we go all in with these committees and we're all like trying transparency <laughs> and everything. But again, it's just a very small thing versus employee benefits is like the wild west out there. Right. Well, and yeah, um, 
and I've always thought, well, does it matter if they're missing work because they got hurt on the softball field on Sunday or because they got hurt, you know, loading something? Um, doesn't, yeah, I mean, same impact to you, right? <sighs> okay. <laughs> so, I know you go a whole bunch of different ways about it, but it's it's interesting. And, and some of the things in, you know, Dave's group, you know, Health Rosetta has taught me a lot about it. And if it's an employer listening to this, highly recommend the Health Rosetta or Trend Breakers <laughs> are both really good sources. But the difference between health insurance and health care, like you almost have to like have this little switch go off on your brain because we confuse those things all the time and they're very different. Like we don't, we don't confuse car insurance with car maintenance, like filling up my tires, changing my tires and all that stuff. Like they're very, you know, one is a financial instrument. If I get in a car accident, the other one is like taking care of my car, but within, you know, with our health care, we're always like, well, my health insurance says this, my health insurance. I'm like, that's your health care. Like your doctor and stuff is health care. And you can tighten the, tighten down your health insurance, try and save money as much as you can, but it's only going to be a portion of it. And until you start going after the bigger health care spending and redesigning it, you can really save up, you know, 30, 40% off of what you're spending right now. And so people can just think about the millions of dollars they're spending and then take off 40% of all that. And it's, big, big dollars. It really is. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's appreciated enough. And it's so funny you'd bring that up. I love that you're differentiating. I just, one of those late night angry tweets the other day, I put PSA, healthcare is not health insurance. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> like, they're not the same thing. Um, cool. So let's go back to your journey a little bit more. Um, you know, you're, you have a full-time job. You have this venture with uh, Trend Breakers. What advice would you give a business owner who's struggling with not having enough time? What have you figured out? <laughs> yeah. Um, and partly for me, it's, it's financially, like I don't want to go take on a whole bunch of debt and do stuff. And so I have, <laughs> you know, if I can dedicate time for it, but I'd say what's helped me and I still have to always refocus on it is just go all in with whatever you're doing at that moment. It's amazing how much time we waste not being all in like we're either at home and we're looking at our phones and we're not all in with our kids and our, our spouses or we're at work and we're thinking about home or sports or different things. But, you know, we, we all know this, like if we really grind it out a lot, you know, that eight hours, we can usually get done in like two or three hours if we're just like cranking through it at our peak stuff. And so going all in has really helped me. And so it's like when I'm at work, like do work when I'm doing my trend breaker stuff, like do trend breakers when I'm trying to do my family, you know, do family stuff. And, kind of blocking off time. That's the other thing that's kind of helped me of saying like, these are my kind of day job hours and times. This is my trim breakers time. This is my family time and trying mm -hmm. to hold that. No, I'm nowhere near perfect that I'm just saying that's things that have kind of helped me do it. And along my journey, I've had to learn through it. Right. No, I appreciate that. None of us are right. But I, that's a, I, I couldn't agree more. I would say I focusing. don't watch TV at all. I don't want, I mean, I just, I don't get that much value out of it, but I, that's why I do my trend breakers time is like when a lot of people mm. are zoning out, I, I do a lot of it at night when my kids are asleep or different things. And that's mm -hmm. when I invest time into it. And it's, it's something I get passionate about. You can see it coming out of it. And sure. And so I don't even, it, it doesn't feel like work to me. Like it's just something I love doing. I get energized by it. I do stuff. And so it's, it's been nice that I can, I, I, I honestly, I, I'm just being honest. Like I would much rather kind of help people and do this stuff than watch a show or do these, these other things. And, 
it kind of bugs my wife sometimes because she's like, you need a hobby. And I'm like, this is like my hobby. I like doing this. I just, she's like, well, you get paid for it. And I'm like, well, you know, that's a nice part of it, but it's like. I'll, I'll share with you and anybody who's listening, look up Ikigai. It's I-K-I-G-A-I, but I'll send it to you later. It's this conflict, the, the Venn diagram of where these things overlap and interconnect. And it's uh, something I use a lot. It's I, you, when you find it, it is, it's flow. It's like, you're not working. Surprise oh, I, I people. Really enjoy it. I, I've done finance for so long and, I do really well at it, but there's just something about trying to help build somebody else's business that at some point you kind of want to do your own, like you want to build your own thing. Cool. And for me, you know, I'd like to expand. It's been really fun for me to learn marketing, to learn podcasting, to learn sales, to learn sales is really hard. I mean, it really, really is, <laughs> you know, as much as we complain about some sales guys and what they make and stuff, it's like, man, you go out there and try and knock those doors and get all the no's and, and do stuff. It's, it's hard. Um, so a lot of appreciation for a lot of the people that are out there doing this kind of stuff. And, and I've enjoyed it. It's been hard, but you know, that it usually is. <laughs> so speaking of that, um, I mean, everybody's encountering challenges and problems and it doesn't matter if you've been doing this a couple of years or 30 or, or what have you, there's always a new problem in business. What are you running into now? What challenges are you facing on the trend breaker side of things? Uh, 2020. I mean, I think all, all of us kind of, you know, with this pandemic yeah. reshapes us. So I had some really big speaking engagements booked this year where, mm-hmm. you know, the HR community has a national conference that has 20,000 people to go to that, that conference. I got asked to be a speaker there. So I was super excited to, to go speak sure. there. And then it got canceled. It was in June and I didn't, I didn't get that speaking arrangement. And I was really trying to put a lot of time into speaking and doing stuff. And so trying to have to pivot that. So within you know June, I started a podcast and I didn't know anything about podcasting. I didn't know anything. Else. So it's having to kind of learn things on the fly and, and do stuff and be okay with mistakes. Um, building, building something in a, a new, like a new thing is, is hard. Um, mm-hmm. People get me confused. They want to put me into silos. Like, are you employer? Yes. Are you in finance? Yes. Are you in HR? Yes. Are, are you helping out with benefits? Are you a broker? I'm like, I'm not a broker, but I can kind of run circles around some of them. Like I can do that. But like, which one are you? Like I've been, I've been right. kicked out of like broker. Like for example, you know, Dave was on the podcast. I tried to join the health Rosetta stuff. I'm like, well, you're not, you're not a broker. So you can't be official like health, health Rosetta person. I'm like, well, okay, fine. You know, I was trying to be a, an HR. I was in an HR forum talking, you know, sharing ideas and stuff. And then they kicked me out of the HR forum because I wasn't a, just an HR professional, you know, because I was talking about benefits. And so it's just, they try and silo you. And I'm, I think the value that I bring is that I'm able to connect. I mean, there's not a lot of people who can connect finance and HR. And so I can talk both languages and I get at, that's why, that's why I get asked to speak at a lot of different events because Mm -hmm. You know, people in HR, they want to like, well, how do I connect more with my CFO? I was like, well, I wear both hats. Let me tell you how to do that. Or the brokers will invite me to their conventions because like, well, how do I connect more with CFOs or, you know, whatever. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that would be incredibly frustrating, but you're exactly right. People, we do just to make sense of the world, right? We pigeonhole folks right. with whatever. So, um, well, okay. So what's your proudest moment so far in your business endeavor? Um, I, it's funny. And, and it's still like, I surviving through 2020 can be, yeah, I mean, that, and that's honestly where I was going. It wasn't, it wasn't like a moment, but man, I'm still going like yeah. it, it's been hard. It's been I'm doing this stuff. And 
I am definitely playing the long game on this. Like if you, I mean, as a finance person, if you looked at my financials, like it's, it's just a nice little nonprofit I'm running here because <laughs> like every single dime, I'm just trying to throw back into this business and doing it. Right. Um, and it's been nice. I mean, cause I have a day job and all these things. I don't have to worry so much about the financial standpoint, but sometimes you just want to make some money and get those little green, I call them green certificates of appreciation that somebody's pulling out of their pocket and giving you these dollars and saying, you know, thank you for what, what you're doing. And I've had some really cool moments this year where, you know, the NHR director called me up last Friday and said, you know, I just want to thank you. You saved us $450,000 into our renewal. That's again, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the company. Every single employee, we're going to be adding an extra 1% on their 401k stuff. And so this is because of what you taught us and how you took us through this, this thing. And that was just, it's really cool to be able to have that impact on a company and all the employees and their families. So, so. That's tremendous. That's awesome. Still gone. So a mix of those two, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm, Hey, everybody who is should be super proud. Um, yeah. Make it through this year. Um, so what, you know, you're all, we're always learning. What if, uh, what's one of your favorite business books or something, a lesson you've learned that you'd like to share? So favorite business books, actually the, the one that I, I'm reading right now is called No More Mr. Nice Guy. Okay. And I don't know, it's so much tied to business, but it's really helping me out in, in business. And so being kind of, it, it's something I've struggled with of always being like a yes, a yes man of like accepting everything, doing stuff. And then being like, you know what, I, you know, what's important to me? What am I trying to do? I don't have to like do everything and just having to say no to a lot more things to be able to say yes to what I want to say yes to. So it's, it's been a good book, both personally and to help me out with my business. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. And that's a huge one. I mean, that's one of the ones we read about and see, you know, Warren Buffett says and Bill Gates says what they said no to is a big part of their success, but figuring out what that should be is not always the easiest. Well, what's been hard is like, I, I have a lot of brokers that follow me. They want to learn from me. They want to talk to me. They want to know how to connect and I want to help. Um, but it's just not my niche. And mm. so then it's like, do I, and it, it kind of hurts to like turn them away and say, I don't, I can't do this, but I, I, I just can't, I don't have enough time to like keep up with it. And, Right. Right. No, that's, that's a running theme for, I think every business owner. Actually the podcast has been helpful for me. That's one of the things I enjoy about the podcast. Now I get vendors and people connecting me all the time. And I said, well, you want to know mm -hmm. more about me? Just go listen to episode zero. It's the, it's got my story. It's got my mission. And it's amazing. Like you can like <laughs> throw them off and not have to like hop on that half an hour, get to know you call stuff. Like, well, that's a great point too, though. We have so many tools and things that we can automate Yep. right or record or do it once so if we're doing the same thing repetitively whether that's teaching or training or whatever there there are all kinds of things that can you know you can record that and i love it i, I love it and I, I send them there and if they they come back they say okay now that you know who i am tell me why you think this is valuable both for me and for you and if right. they can i'm all willing to hop on a call and and do stuff and the other thing that's been helpful with that podcast is sometimes the people i want to go learn about anyways. Like I get selfish about who I want to have on the podcast to talk to. I, I just record it. And then all these other people want to listen to it. And I was like, I don't even care if anybody listens to it. I'm like enjoying like learning about these things. You're giving away my secrets, Steve. Huh. All right. 
I don't know they're seekers. I just enjoy doing it. So no, I'm no, not I, quite I, as cool as you. I'm still trying to build mine up to be able to get Dave Chase on my podcast. So we'll, I'll, I'll work on that a little bit more. But oh, I think you ask him, he'll jump on. No. Um, but but no, this um, it, yeah, it's not a secret. But that is, I, I totally agree. That's been one of the one of the cool things about doing this is um, opening doors, meeting new people, and really going in depth, even with people you thought you knew, but going in back to their stories and stuff. Um, really learning a little bit more of the origin story of the values, the vision they had. Um, you know, that's one of the things, and I'll commend you because that's one of the things I love working with entrepreneurs about is they see things that don't yet exist, yeah. right? And they solve problems. And that's the, those two things together. You know, if you think about what you've done, even the last several years, you created something that didn't exist before that, you know, and you're running into these challenges and problems like everybody else and you're solving them, you know, Sometimes we do a better job than that than others. But. You know, and I, I the, the mantra that's really kept me going through all this stuff is never let perfection get in the way of progress. Like it's just, you have to, you're just building this bus while you're driving it, you're doing all this stuff. And it's, and it, it's helped me and just realizing like, no, I'm going to make tons of mistakes. I've said things I shouldn't say. I've like, you know, frustrated people on LinkedIn. I'm trying to do it. I've tried, you know, business partners I've wanted to have, like the way that I presented myself, potential prospects that I'm like, get all like sales happy. And I kind of vomit everything over them about all this like wonderful <laughs> stuff. They're like, whoa, buddy, like, hold on. You know, it's like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm a finance guy trying to do sales. Like, it's just like, <laughs> let me give you all this stuff. But, you know, I'm learning, I'm, I'm working through it. But No, I love it. Thanks for sharing that too. So um, before we wind down, any other thoughts you want to leave us with? No, I, I really enjoy what you're doing. And I think if I could go back and kind of slap myself 10 years ago, it's doing exactly what you're saying. It's like, we just need to connect more with people. And I, I think there were so many years I spent just grinding at my desk, trying to do my, my own thing, trying to find the best things. And the last few years, and it's funny because there's this stereotype that business people are greedy, they're not going to share, they're going to backstab you. And I I do not run into that. There are so many people who have helped me and the LinkedIn, the ability to connect with people across the whole country and bring mm -hmm. those ideas. I've been really, I couldn't do what I'm doing without LinkedIn and these networks and connecting. And it's been such a valuable thing for me. So I commend you for what you're doing with this, this podcast and reaching out and helping people learn more about each other's. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. Steve, this is a lot of fun and uh, best of luck with trend breakers. Cause I think, think it's just a, well, you're bringing huge value to to people on all sides. Well, not the insurance companies, but that's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're they okay have with enough that. of our money. Like, honestly, <laughs> yeah, I, right. I throw them under the bus all the time. You look at their stock prices. I'm just trying to get some of that money back in our pockets so we can invest in our employees and our businesses and stuff. No kidding. Cool. Well, thank you so much for this. I really, really, really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, appreciate having you on. Glad I was able to come on. Thanks. Thank you for listening.